to do something like we talked about last week. We're just going to take some time to just like a glorified God before we go into the message. And the way we will do it is like, a, you know, we'll get like a Miss Susan start the message. And, and the thing is that we are not like a screening to see like a who should be saying and who shouldn't be saying. If God impresses you to talk about, you know, what God has done for you, we want you to say that out loud because there are two things that the enemy is afraid of. One is the blood of Jesus. He's, he trembles at the blood of Jesus. And then the second thing he trembles is the testimony of the saints. And, and the reason why he trembles is because even when we start to preach the word of God and, uh, you know, go deeper into the word, the enemy can say, ah, that's not what it means. Or when someone's listening to it, he can just like distort the truth by saying, ah, this is not for you. This is for Fred Lee. You know, so God can just like work that, you know, when he's just like giving a testimony, the enemy can just like, you know, say, oh, this is for the guy that is on the next street. Oh, forgiveness, it's not for me. So he can distort the word. But when we open our mouth and say, this is what my God has done for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amen. There is nothing that he can do to dispute that. Because Amen. this is something God did because I have a relationship with him. And he is my king. And he is still sitting on the throne. And what it does to the people who are listening is that even their <coughs> heaviness of heart just lightens up when we start to open up like this. So, Ms. Susan, start us with a word of prayer, and then we will pause that point and see if anyone has a testimony. Go ahead. Okay. I agree with what you just said. What you said was powerful. Amen. Really, it was, it was really powerful and we praise God for that and I'm going to add my little piece to it kind father in Jesus name we thank you for this day we are grateful for having you in our lives teach us how to trust you father when we cannot see how you are working things out for us forgive us for our sin of omission and commission continue to shield and protect us, our seed and family member, in the mighty name of Jesus, from all intended evil, in Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Prepare our hearts and minds to receive your rhema word on this morning. Yes. Father, I'm covering myself, the listeners, our family yes. member with the blood of Jesus, that we will yes. not get any backlashes from this prayer. Thank you, yes. Father, for blessing each and every one of us with the word that yes. we are going to receive on this morning. Continue yes. to open doors of favor for this ministry yes. and the overseer and his family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. With anyone, and I know we've had so many miracles happen, would anyone like to share and give God all the praise and the glory this morning at this time? Please just come right on in. Good morning, everyone. This is Katina. 
<laughs> I would like to share um, a praise report. I just want to give thanks unto God and just let him know how much I acknowledge him as being the provider over my life, as providing mm-hmm. everything that I need. He knows his timing. It is mm-hmm. awesome. It is great. And I was just recently promoted on my job. And I just want to thank him for promotion. I just want to thank him for just making a way when I didn't see a way. I want to thank him even for patience as I went through the process. The application process was a little extensive for me. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to just quit and give up and make every excuse of why I should not have. And I just thank him for endurance. I thank him for pushing me. I thank him for letting me see what is in me that he placed in me and that I could do this, that I am worthy of this. And I saw it through to the end. And I just want to give him all the praises and the glory and thank him for his promotion that he provided, not man, but he provided for me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. Anyone else? God lifts up his uh, children and he takes delight, Katina, in seeing his children prosper seeing his children lifted up. It it is in his space of delightness, you know. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise him. Thank you. Good morning. This is Lisa. I just wanted to share with you guys, um, you know, last Saturday my oldest son got shot, Mm. and it was really a trying week. Um. You know, just me trying to be strong for everybody and be strong for the kids. And by yeah. Friday, I felt so depleted. I felt like I was just totally drained. I didn't know whether I was coming or going. Didn't really know, you know, where to go. Um, but Friday night was truly a blessing for me. And it just, it's like God just gives me strength and more anointing. And I just yeah. think you guys being there for me and just, um, you know, standing in the gap for me. And I just felt so relieved. I actually had a very peaceful night's sleep on Friday night. Amen. And I, I thank God for the word. I thank God for the prayers. And, you know, I just thank God for you guys allow me to be a part of this ministry. Amen. Hallelujah. Miss Lisa, we have no idea that you were there on the line on Friday. But, uh, you know, what we know, Miss Lisa, is this. We serve a God who is not just the God of the mountains, but he's mm. also the God of the valleys. Yeah. Yeah. And he will stand with us in the valley, just like a Psalm 23 says, like, uh, you know, uh, he is, uh, you know, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the valley, I shall fear no shadow of the death for he himself yeah. is with me in that Amen. walk, right? So, Hallelujah. You know, you're not alone in this journey, Miss Lisa. Amen. Yeah, I, 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 I recite that 23rd Psalm every day, every single day. I recite that 23rd Psalm. Amen. 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 We're so Amen. glad you're with us. Thank you. So Thank you. And it lifts us up as well. We know we serve a living God. Yeah. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? I'll go next. Okay. I just thank God for this day. I thank God for this 
season of COVID and the churches being closed, I just thank God because in the midst of all that, you know, mm-hmm. the, enemy makes, the, the enemy tries to make us think that we're not where God wants us to be and we're lagging behind. And we're not set for the kingdom and because we're pushing the church doors open, you know, every time, you know, we're not pushing the doors every time the church is open, but I just thank God for where I am on my journey. God makes it real to me that you are where you're supposed to be in this season. I just thank God so much for that encouragement, you know, because in the midst of all you go through, you know, and you trust God and you, and you know, and God comes through, there's still that little doubt every time something else comes up. Mm-hmm. A little bit of doubt, and you've got to encourage yourself. You know, you've got to know enough enough word that has to be put in you, even if it's just one word that says help. God, that's a prayer. Yes, yes. Where I am on my journey, you know. They say, and you're supposed to be a Christian. Some people think that because you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a doormat for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what God, yeah. wants us, God wants us to speak up, declare the word, and declare that I am who God has called me to be. Regardless of what thinks, regardless of what anybody feels like, it all boils down to what God wants me to be. And I just yeah. thank God I am that today in him. I can stand firm and flat-footed. And I can say that I'm a child of God, and I am where God wants me to be. And I Amen. Ask y'all to Praise my... the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If we were in the prison setting, I would say, okay, let's get some toilet paper, because you know my eyes are dripping. <laughs> Hallelujah. Of these wonderful reports, and it's just a blessing. It's a blessing. Amen. It's Amen. a blessing. Hallelujah. Anyone else? I know, Miss Brenda. Miss Brenda did an amazing job yesterday getting that kids to careers kick-started. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know, Miss Brenda, you are in the place where God has called you to be. You know. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Was there someone else coming on to give a praise? Uh, this is Randy. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Randy. So uh, I mean, I'll talk to you uh, later about yesterday. I'm so sorry about yesterday. But anyway, um, I just have a blessing to share. My daughter's getting married next Saturday. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, Hallelujah. Uh, it's an amazing coincidence that they met and that um, my daughter had a vision. She wanted to go to the Kentucky Horse Park. And um, <laughs> my dad had um, was contributed to Asbury Seminary. And because of Kentucky Horse Park, when she was a sophomore, she said, you need to go by this, you need to go out there and check it out. And so on a whim, we went begrudgingly, and that's where she met her um, now fiancé. And it was all because she volunteered uh, when she led a, a horse park, or a uh, summer horse camp. That's how they met. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they just have an amazing heart, amazing heart for God. They're just so talented. And I'm just so proud of them. So many things that they don't have much money, but yet they've been blessed. So many things have come to play for them. So I'm excited. Amen. Now, now, the hardest part, Randy, is to let your hand go. Amen. We are so thankful, Randy, you know, and we're praising God for, you know, what God's going to do in her life, you know. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So given that it's a little bit of a pause and silence, I'm going to mute this line. Let's go into the Word this morning. Praise God for all the goodness. The conference has been muted. And this morning, you know, uh, as we go through this journey of um, the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation is talking about a lot of uh, pictorial things. And one of the things that uh, it's talking about, the name of the Lord. The, the, there is so many names that we see given. And it, it does talk about the characteristics of God. It, it, you know, it's talking about the seven lights. He's talking about El Shaddai. It's talking about Elohim. So we're just going to take a a detour into looking at the various names of the Lord. And as I was like, you know, looking at the various names of the Lord, just like what we saw today, he is the God of the mountains and he is also the God of the valley, right? And so um, this is all like what we are going to go through this morning is, is just like an extension to what we had on a Friday night, on a Friday night, we were looking at the life of David, and he he comes back after three months of victorious time, and as he was coming into his home, uh, where his family is, and uh, when they were coming from all the victories, and as they were reaching to that place, they saw smoke coming out everywhere, and their families were taken, children were taken, and even their friends were trying to stone him to death. But the Bible says in First Samuel chapter 30, David strengthened himself in the Lord. As, as we talk about the various characteristics of God, uh, one of the things is like, what does he instill on us? What is that we need to be doing Knowing that others can talk about God, others can say about God, what is it for me? How do I reach the throne room? How do I go after the mountain? So this morning, we're going to talk about, go tell the mountain who your God is, right? And so if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Mark chapter 11, Verses 20 to 24. Mark chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. The Bible says, Now in the morning, 
as they were passed as they passed by they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and peter remembering said to him jesus rabbi look the fig tree which you cursed has withered away right so jesus answered and said to him have faith in god for assuredly i say to you whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast into sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things that he says will be done he will have whatever he says therefore i say to you whatever things you ask when you pray believe that you receive them and you will have them this part of the passage was was a little bit off topic for me i don't know um whether you have done a study on this uh, you know part of the verse it did not make sense when i first read this part of the passage why because peter is just like a pointing to something he says this victory just like a, you know died and when he talks about like the victory being dead jesus is talking about faith have faith in god he's not actually even acknowledging what peter is saying right he's not saying like oh that's right the victory that we saw yesterday is dead right but instead he goes on to talk about a mountain and a mountain be removed right there's got to be some context to behind all these things right so let's look at the context first and then we will go into the word right this was the week when the, this is the last week when jesus was going to get crucified and he is coming into the town but jesus was staying outside the town in his friend's house right this is about like a tuesday of that week and they were going towards jerusalem that tuesday morning right and uh, this was this triumphant entry into into jerusalem and and along the way the bible says if you just like to read a couple of verses earlier we can see that jesus was actually hungry that morning right and so he goes to this fig tree to get some food right because when he went to the fig tree the bible says there was a lot of leaves the the thing is that whenever you see a leaf or leaves on a fig tree that means it is it is producing a fruit right it is a time for it to produce some fruit right but when it went near when he went near that fig tree that fig tree did not have any fruit and jesus was actually cursing that fig tree and that fig tree when he cursed and the fig tree died and the thing is this what jesus was actually doing was he was prophetically saying something at this point in time to these guys who did not understand and we after 2000 years we don't understand either why because 
It looked like a tree that's going to produce fruit, but when he came close to it, he didn't see a fruit. Right? And he was talking about the children of Israel that when the outskirts of them, they're just looking like they're religiously strong and they're faith-driven and spiritually nourished and everything, and it looked like they're producing some leaves, but when he came closer to it, they didn't, he didn't see the fruit. And he was cursing the lifestyle, and, and he was just like a, making a prophetic statement saying, if you are supposed to bear fruit, and if you don't, you will be cursed. That's the point he was trying to make. But here's the thing. That part of like a fig tree, we'll come back to it. But after that, he goes and he, he just like a, turns the, the, the tables in the temple. He was just like a chasing the, um, the, the money changers and everyone. And then in the evening... They were actually crossing by the same route, but it was dark, and these guys did not see the fig tree has dead by that point. So the next day morning, when they were ready to come back into Jerusalem from their friend's house, they were crossing and passing by the same fig tree. That's where the scene is starting. And that's why it says, now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And when, when Peter was making that statement about the fig tree being dead, Jesus was going on a completely different tangent, and we didn't have any clue of connecting this dot. And so when you go look at the very same verse in Matthew when he records this, the Bible actually gives a tiny bit more clue to this one. Matthew chapter 21, verses 20, where in the 21 it's talking about the very same scene and Matthew's recording. And he says, when the disciples saw it, the it here is that fig tree, right? When the disciples saw the fig tree, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? The disciples were asking, how did the fig tree die? They know, they know yesterday, they heard Jesus cursing the tree. So it's not like they want to know how that fig tree died. They know that Jesus did something to that fig tree. But what they were marveled is that what kind of a power was in action at this point? How did the power that was in the mouth of Jesus that transferred to make this thing happen. And they were marveling to see how, like, this is a man, I know he's a man of God, and he just cursed yesterday, but something happened here that the words actually he used actually changed the trajectory of uh, this tree. Right? And then, when, when Jesus knows exactly what their how is, he knows exactly what they're asking, Jesus then tries to answer their question. And here, he's talking about a mountain. He says, say to this mountain, right, whoever 
face to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Actually, twice, Jesus uses the almost the same kind of a wording. We'll look at both of those passages today. But here, Jesus is saying, say to this mountain, what is this mountain that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about an obstacle that comes in our life. Jesus is talking about a mountain of difficulty that we want to overcome. Jesus is talking about a mountain that is standing between us and our solution. It's standing between us and the vision God has placed. It's standing in the middle. It's just like a block, right? Jesus is, like a lot of commentators are talking about this chapter as well. They're saying it's the mountain of discouragement. It's the mountain of sickness that we know is not moving. We've done everything to move. It's not moving. It's the mountain of poverty. It's just not getting out of my life. Oh, I'm just like shaking myself off and it's not coming out. It's the mountain of disbelief. God, I'm not able to shake that off. The mountain of hopelessness. The mountain of fear. The mountain of the sin of unbelief, or somebody was talking about it this morning, the mountain of bitterness, the mountain of unanswered prayers, it's standing in the middle, and it's not moving. God, what do I do? And Jesus wants to address that part. And look at what God, Jesus is saying. When there is a mountain In the front, Jesus is saying in this verse, in verse 22, he says, the very first thing, he's not talking about, oh, have a prayer meeting. Oh, go just like bring some people, so let's have some revival crusades. Go just like pull some of the people together so we can actually have like a, uh, like a prayer combined moment. No, no, no. Jesus is not talking about any of those things. The very first thing Jesus says in verse 22 is this. If there is a mountain that is standing in front of you that needs to be moved, God says, have faith in God. It's not having faith in faith. He's not talking about that. It's not talking about having faith in yourself. He's not talking about having a faith in the people around. He's talking about an authority under which we operate. He's saying, have faith in God's character. How do I, how do I have faith in God? And why is this such a critical thing? You have to think at this moment in time, this is Jesus talking. I've, I've always like I felt like, a, oh, when when Billy Graham talks about, he talks about like a lot of his messages were around love, and I'm thinking, oh my God, how many times, brother, Reverend Billy Graham will talk about love? I've heard some of these people that give messages, and they're like a lightweight messages, and and I've always like, a, you know, there's got to be more here, but then. As I start to study the word, God is just like opening up areas to see 
there is more in the word. And here, this statement, have faith in God, looks very simple, but it's not as simple as that. God's talking about having a audacious faith in me, right? God's talking about, uh, you know, what is standing between us and the mountain is not actually the mountain. It's not actually the problem. It is you and me. Why? Because so many times it grieves God when we don't trust him enough to execute what we are going through. We have this worry and fear and discouragement and the brokenness comes in the middle. We are actually not able to see who God is and our faith becomes so diminished and it is like one of the, you know, 1,100 things in our life is just this faith that I'm carrying. But in real life, last night when I was just like meditating on this, it was almost like a God was saying to me, Cyril, it just grieves me that you speak so much about this word to so many uh, times to people, but I, I don't see you executing on that one that you have to believe in. And you are actually like trying to do something about it while I am in the middle of doing something about it. How many times we have seen God do miracles in our life and the next time there is another trial comes by, we wipe out the history and speak the words of unbelief with people. It looks like, a, you know, we, we do believe, but at a, at a distance, right? There is a man, there is a king actually named Asa. Uh, and this whole thing that when we read about the life of Asa, he's actually in the first, um, you know, the, the, the book that uh, he's talking about is in the, the book of Chronicles where uh, this king um, Asa is out there and uh, he is he's one of the kings who actually started really well in his life right and Asa what he did is this when he started to become a king he's actually the third in the generation of kings after David right and uh, when he started he cleaned up the temple and uh, uh, it, it comes in the in the chapters 14 through 16, right? And 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 uh, and and the book of uh, you know Chronicles talks about in length what Asa was doing, right? And uh, the first thing that he did is like uh, you know when he started to become very close with God and God was opening doors for him and. Uh, there was like a, a king from Ethiopia. He brought actually a million people into, into a battlefield, right, to fight against this tiny kingdom that was led by King Asa, right? And uh, when, when those people came into his life, uh, and what, I mean, the battle was real, and uh, 
the, the thing that was just so beautiful to watch is this king was not actually afraid of the million people that showed up. It comes in Second Chronicles chapter 14 through 16. And I, I want, whenever you get a chance, you know, definitely read those three chapters. But here's the thing. He was not afraid of million people that were coming because he was in the right standing with God. And, uh, and the thing is that uh, he goes in, and these guys were coming with the 300 chariots uh, and so on. And then when, when those things happened, he cried out to God and he said, God, you are the God who can save me from this Ethiopian, you know, battlefield. And uh, all of these cities were just like, uh, you know, covered and I have no way to go. This is like uh, every door is blocked, right? And then God heard this man's cry and removed the million people out. And he just like won the battle, a small army won the battle, right? And God sends a, a, a prophet into the life of uh, uh, King Asa. And he says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. God was just like a giving, uh, an, uh, you know, an accolade to this king. You didn't get scared because of the million people that showed up, right? And then afterwards, there was a 35 years of peace, 36 years of peace that prolonged in the kingdom. Nothing happened, right? But right before he died, it was at the very last moment of his life, right? He just like a God, his own neighboring Israel was just like a trying to fight against Judah. And here's what he does. He completely forgot that the God of this universe actually saved him, right, from, from all of these difficulties. And so... What he did is, like, uh, he just went and, uh, you know, called the king of, uh, he called the king of uh, uh, Syria to come and help him. This is like, uh, you know, sleeping with the enemy, right? And so the king of Syria comes and uh, the battle was won. The, the, the children of Israel were just like uh, pushed around and uh, the, the battle was over. But then God was not pleased with Asa. He sends another messenger to the king. And he says to the king, because you did not trust me in the middle of your problem, I'm actually going to, you know, make your place miserable. There is going to be war in your city, and you are not going to have a peace anymore in your city. And from there on, Asa went through all kinds of difficulties because God took his hands off of him. What am I saying? Sometimes we actually are, are, are really good in saying what God has done when we are around the church folk. Right? When we are around the people, we're just like... A, uh, are always like a very strength and happy and we're just like a praising God. But when we are not around, 
the church folk, we actually start to say things that is just not aligning with what we believe in. And God says, whether you are in the midst of people that praise me or outside, you still need to have an unwavering faith in what I am going to be doing through your life. You need to have a faith that just like a moves the mountain. And you need to have faith in the God of this universe. We need to tell when we go through this kind of like a tough time, like what we are going through with a pandemic, right? There's like a, so many bad things that are happening. And when we are in a church setting, we probably, in a Bible study, we say, oh, praise God, I've, uh, you know, I, I'm not affected by this pandemic. But then when we are not with uh, our crew, then we say, oh, I hope this vaccine works. I've taken both of them. What are we doing? We're actually, you know, leaving room for the enemy. We're actually making a peace with the mountain. Instead of speaking to the mountain, speaking to the enemy and saying, enough is enough. You have to leave my country. You don't have a place for breaking my children and my children's children. This nation belongs to the Lord. My street belongs to the Lord. My house belongs to the Lord. And this thing that you are doing to this nation, you have no control over. Let me bind the enemy that is just like a torturing this nation and the nations across. You and I have this kind of an access to an authority that we need to use. We cannot be making peace with this mountain. Instead, we need to destroy it. Start making plans for the movement of your mountain. Look, you know, at the, what the words were saying in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 20. Even the disciples were marveling at like what happened. The Bible says they marveled. They were just like amazed that this tree, this fig tree, not only died on the top, but also at the roots, it has gone. When we trust God in such a way and the power of his might, the people that are around us should start to marvel at the Lord we serve. Proverbs 26 is one that comes to my mind right now because when we started Proverbs 26, I have like a, you know, some board members that are in this line as well. They know that uh, one of the things that we will absolutely not do is have credit cards to run this ministry. A lot of times, that the churches, you know, buys loans and, uh, you know, takes line of credits and things like that to run. And one of the things, one of the principles under which that this ministry will operate is like we will not buy things using credit. And does it cost us? Absolutely, it does cost us. But then here's the thing. There are days that I would end up going to uh, a rental car place, they would not even rent me a car because I don't have a credit card with a Proverbs 2-6 name on it. Right? 
and and uh, this is disgusted so many times, you know, where I would get on my knees and cry out and say, God, I don't know what to do. And I've shared this testimony before as well. I was there twice this has happened to me. I was there in the Omaha airport, and right before I landed there, uh, there was somebody who was supposed to send a check or a money deposited into our account. Sometimes this, uh, the car companies will just allow us to rent a car if you pay double the amount using your debit card if you don't have a, a, a credit card, right? So they will have a larger um, you know, deposit. But here, I'm landing in, this was like a three, four years ago, I'm landing in this airport in Omaha. My debit card did not have enough money or no money at that point. There's absolutely no money. We are going into South Dakota. We need to, you know, uh, pay all the um, bills and, uh, you know, get this thing rolling uh, over in South Dakota uh, the next day. And as I'm walking out and uh, I look at my bank uh, app and it said zero dollars. And all my credit cards at this point has maxed out. There's nothing there. Um, in the personal side, I never had like a credit card, you know, at that point. Uh, even the ones that I had was just like, a, you know, not having any value. It's open, but it, it's just like a closed door, you know, it has no dollar left in them, right? And I go to this uh, um, airport car rental, and I was saying to God, God, without a car, I cannot even get out of this airport. But God, I know that this is a, a making, this is a self-inflicted because, you know, I don't want to have a credit card uh, in my name or in, in, uh, um, in the uh, Proverbs 2 to 6 name. And so I opened my purse. There is this old uh, Amex card with a zero balance um, and, uh, you know, it's still active, right? So I go to this uh, um, Alamo rental car and uh, swipe my card with a zero balance on it and this is an automated machine, and out comes the car key uh, that I, I, I had reserved for, but I needed that car, uh, you know, to even get out of this airport, right? And uh, I looked at the bill, and the bill says $0 charged to the card all the way, like eight or 10 different features that they had given but they haven't charged anything to my card. And uh, I took the car and I still have that bill. If anyone wants to see, I will show it to you. But here's the thing. When I was standing in that car rental place, in that line, I was telling my God, this is you that I'm serving. I'm not going to back out of this. It is your job to get me out of this airport. I'm not going to walk out of this place and find myself without a car. God, your word says that you will serve, you know, your children with the good things. I was just claiming every promise that I could think of at that moment in time. And I 
as I was just like a going into this thing, I, I, I was just like a so fired up because I know my God cannot fail me because there are a bunch of kids that are going to come see their dads next day morning. It's not my ministry, it's your ministry. God, if you want me to go back, get on that plane and go to Charlotte, I will be happy to do. But I'm here because you called me to come. That day, not just at one time, a couple of months later, it happened to me in the Houston airport as well. Similar situation, nothing in my car because I don't have a credit card. What am I saying? We need to have an audacious faith that's going to marvel the people around us. How is this people holding on even when all these things are broken in their life? We don't need to answer the prayers. We don't need to be God to answer the prayers, but we don't need to focus on the problem because we serve a God who is mightier than anyone can ever imagine. I don't know what your mountain is this morning. My God is saying today that mountain that is standing before you will move as you come closer to it and shout grace, grace, grace to it, that mountain is going to come down. But that faith of just like a going to the mountain has to come from you. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, this tree will come down because, you know, you have a faith in the God. This is the faith under which that I always operate, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I know there was only the, the handful of fish and handful of bread that was there. But I know when I open my eyes towards my king, he's going to multiply the fish that is on my bowl. The second time, second thing that God says, first thing is we need to have not only this faith, but we have to speak our faith over the problem. We need to speak it. That's what Jesus says Say to this mountain, right? Say to this mountain. That's the number one. We need to speak. What is in our heart is what is going to come out of our mouth. If you are weak in your heart, the words that come out of your mouth is also going to be weak. When you are strong inside, you know who you are. You are the child of the living God. And that you know that you can break this mountain apart. And when that comes out of your mouth, God says that's the son that I am looking for. That's the daughter that I'm looking for. Let's go, is what God's going to say. It's you and me. The second time Jesus uses the same verse, it's actually in Matthew chapter 17. It's on a completely different context. And Jesus says the exactly same thing. Here's a man that comes to Jesus and asks him to heal. This comes in Matthew chapter 17. Verses 20, he's asking God for healing for his epileptic son. And he tells Jesus, I actually came to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Right? And Jesus talks to the people, and Jesus heals this boy in a moment, and they go away. And when they left, the disciples were asking Jesus why they could not cast out the demon that possessed the son. It was the demon-possessed man that was brought in. The son 
was epileptic because of a, a spiritual breakdown that was a stronghold that was holding that boy. And Jesus answers the disciple this way. He says, because of the littlenessness, littlenessness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have a faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, again, say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible. That's, that context is already said here in the victory situation. God has already addressed that here. But what Jesus is saying here, he just gives a tiny bit more clue to this problem. He says the next verse, after saying all these things, say and move, and all these things, he says, however, it's like, by the way, I have one more thing that I want to tell you, right? However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. To move your mountain, the, the thing that Jesus says, after we say to the mountain, after we believe to the mountain that it has to move, right? Jesus is saying that the one that fuels the word is the prayer and fasting. Jesus is talking about here creating a relationship with God. The thing is that we're constantly expecting a miracle to happen without having a relationship with God. We want the transaction to be executed. We want this trial to be over. We want this mountain to come down without having relationship with him. I found in this ministry path that I've been, the people would come behind this vision. They will give even the resources. They will even write the check, not because we have a great idea, but because they have a relationship with you. They trust you in, in this journey. God is saying, you need to build an infrastructure. You need to have, like, a things that you need in your hand is, is, is going to be executed, not just like a, you come, like, a, looking at God as a Santa Claus, but you need to have a constant relationship with him. That's what the prayer and fasting is establishing with God. That, not when we have a problem that we run into him, but this prayer and fasting has to be a lifestyle. I do not know who in this line has a mountain standing before you, but I'm here to tell you that if there is a mountain that is standing before you, more than the problem that's going to come from outside, the one that can solve your problem is saying, have a relationship with me. God is saying, take time to spend the time with me. God is saying, 
that prayer, this kind is not going to leave unless you have a fasting and prayer. If you have a mountain that's standing in front of you, the, the, before you trust on the results that uh, the, the doctors are going to say about your situation, you need to start taking time to fast and pray. What it does is just like it creates you know, uh, a, a path for us to communicate with God. Not only that, it releases the pressure on you to solve this problem. Sometimes, you know, when we are praying to God, it looks like, you know, God is not showing up and he is silent and, and uh, you've done everything that you can and God is just not moving that mountain Right? But here's what the prayer and fasting can do to you and me. It will release the pressure of us solving the problem and transferring the control to the one who can actually solve the problem. I know the eviction notice could be on your doorstep. The, the thing is that the man, the, the debtors are, are possibly going to come take your house away. But here's the thing. You can be in the middle of a bad news. You can be in the middle of your business broken or the relationship broken with your family. You can be in the middle of all the mess. But when you fast and pray, notice for sure, God will restore the peace in your heart. I can do nothing without it. I, you know, you know at that point there is nothing that you can do is going to make things work. You run out of money. You run out of resources. You just release them from your hand into the hands of the Lord. The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. As long as we are holding on to the problem, the Lord's not going to touch it. We need to release it for the Lord to handle it. You need to watch what God does when they release that mountain. Not only that, when we start to fast and pray, it will change our language. It will radically change how we look at the mountain. Sometimes, you know, when we come to the church and we hear the message like this, your heart is in it. But here's the thing. The messages that are being preached from the pulpit can change nothing. In fact, when the problem is in front of you, and you need to face your problem, it's not going to go away unless you come closer to God. All we are doing, like when we preach or when we meditate, it is just like the tools and features and characteristics of God. We can talk about all these things, but when the locust is chewing, only God can restore the years. Renew your energy with the fasting and praying. People think the fasting and praying puts us down, but no. The fasting and prayer prepares you 
like a mother expecting a baby to be birthed. It speaks to your soul. It will address the problem for sure. The fasting and prayer will address the problem, but also it addresses you to have a peace in the middle of your mountain. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, we're concerned and we're telling God, God, I've prayed. I, I, I've just like, a, you know, done everything that I can. I don't know why this problem's not going away. When we fast and pray, God sharpens our ears to listen to his voice. This is what fasting and prayer is doing. It's just like it creates a relationship model. It's just like... A, releases the pressure out of you to solve this problem. It changes the language that you are speaking, and it also sharpens the years. When we read in the first Kings chapter 18, Elijah was on the mountain. He has done everything he can. He killed all the prophets of the Baal, and he was standing next to the king Ahab, and he was telling There was no rain for three and a half years, but he was telling Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. There are two people standing next to each other, but only one guy is hearing a sound of the abundance of rain, while the other did not hear, because he wasn't listening. Proximity with God. The proximity with God through fasting and prayer opens up a channel of communication where we can hear God. Sometimes we think God is not speaking. I heard, you know, a preacher talk about this yesterday. And he said, like, uh, uh, there was a man, he just like uh, went to the doctor and he told the doctor, doctor, my wife, has a hearing problem. She is not responding to what I am asking her to do. And so the doctor said, no problem. Bring your wife here. Let's check her ears. But here's what I want you to do. When you go home, I want you to do this test for me because it will help me to prescribe properly for your wife. And so the man said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And God, I mean, the the doctor said, when you go home, go 15 feet away from your wife and see if she can hear what you're saying. And if she's not responding, go 10 feet away from her and see if she's able to hear. And if she's not, then go five feet closer and then see if she can hear. If that doesn't work, go shake her shoulder and say to her what you want to tell her, right? So this man goes home. He stands 15 feet away from his wife. And he was asking his wife, honey, what are you cooking? And the wife did not respond. So he walks five feet forward to the 10th feet, and he's saying, honey, what are you cooking? No response. 
And so he goes five feet closer to her and asks, Honey, what's going on? What are you cooking? No response. So he comes closer to his wife and he shakes his wife and says, Honey, what are you cooking? And the wife says, for the fourth time, it's a chicken soup. Right? It's not sometimes the problem is God not speaking to us. The problem could be us not hearing what God is speaking to us. The proximity that we have with God, just like what the prophet Elijah had, is so important. And then there is a third thing. I know we're running out of time. Hang in there. I will bring this plane down, okay? The third thing that moves the mountain, you know, comes in verse 25 and 26 of this Mark chapter 11 that we have been meditating on all along. It says, you know, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. A lot of times, you know, the commentators and the, the theologians have said, oh, this is a passage outside this. But here's what I believe. It is still connected because God would not have put this random words in the middle of like what he's talking, right? And, and yesterday, Here's what happened. There was a man, um, you know, uh, came and talked about like our podcast and he said like, oh, it has to be tightened. It has to be three minutes. And so we were just like, uh, you know, reeling our bat and just like, uh, you know, telling him what the podcast is uh, all about and so on. But he was trying to say you have to tighten the words that you're using and just like a make it, you know, a real close presentation. But that kind of a problem does not exist for God. God never uses a word in the Bible that's not useful for us. He is the God of the mountain. He knows what it takes to move the mountain. God is saying, if you have anything against anyone, this is like an undone business that we have left with somebody. I never liked this Lord's Prayer for a very long time. Why? Because somewhere in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's almost like we are actually putting a restraining order on God to say, God, you don't need to forgive everything in my life Just to measure the same way that I'm forgiving somebody, you can just like use that as a measure to forgive me. But, you know, the thing is this. Here, God says, if you have anything against anyone, let it go. God wants to set us free. He wants to move the mountain of hurt and pain and disgrace. There are things that are hindering our prayer because we haven't really released to the person that has played a role in our life. We don't have to do business with them. We don't need to be the doormat. We don't need to do everything holding hands with them, but we still have to release them from our life. 
when we forgive somebody and have nothing against them, it is just like a releases us to a plane where God can move mountains in your life and my life. God is saying there are three things that you need to do to move the mountains. Number one, you need to have faith. And that faith that you have, that dosha's faith that you have, should come out of your mouth. And that kind of thing can be built and developed over the period of time that we need to have that kind of like audacity in our faith to speak to the mountain, to move. We need to have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, not just when we have problems, but it has to be a lifestyle. And number three, don't hold on to anyone. Let it go. And now when you speak to that mountain, there is nothing that mountain can do against you. What God is talking about is restoring in you and me a mountain-moving faith. God wants to restore in you and me an earth-shattering faith. God wants to have a fire-quenching faith like those three Israeli boys when they were led into fire. God wants to have a faith like how David had when the sword of Saul was around him. God wants to have in you and me a faith like a Daniel which can tame the lions. God wants to have a faith like a Joshua that can bring the kingdom of the enemies down. God wants to have a faith like a Peter so we can walk in the water. God wants to have a, a faith like a Jesus to bust open the devil's God wants to have a faith like the man shouting from the street that was blind, saying, David, son of God, he was just like asking God to just like open his eyes. God wants to have a faith like the lame walking. God wants to have a faith that splits the Red Sea. God wants to have a faith that brings the walls of Jericho down. God wants to have a faith that can push through the crowd and push through the crowd, push through the crowd so we can touch the hem of his clothing. God wants to have a faith that chokes the sickness because the Bible says he bore our sickness and diseases on the cross. God wants to have a faith to break the habits of pornography. God wants to have a, a faith that just removes death. Death. God wants to have a faith that just like craves in us to have the soul saved. God wants to strip the weakness from our faith. God wants to have a heart strengthening faith. God wants to, a faith that defeats the enemy. God wants the faith that, that believes in the promises. No matter what happens, God says, I will be pleased when you stand up and shout to that mountain. Here's how I'm going to land this plane. It comes in Joel chapter 3. It says, multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. I do not know who you are in the line that is in the valley of decision. But God says, 
for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This is God speaking in Joel chapter 3. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you know, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then Jerusalem shall be holy and no alien shall ever pass through her again. When we operate at this level of faith, he's not going to let any alien pass through your life and my life. You and I are going to be called into this victorious life. You and I are called to move this mountain that is standing before us. My prayer this morning is this. I do not know what your mountain is this morning, but God is saying, what comes out of your mouth is just what is there in your heart. Miss Brenda. Amen, amen. This message was so powerful this morning, and I really did need it, you know, to what I've learned is that, and it's so stunning to me, is that the problem isn't the mountains in our lives. The problems are our lack of faith. That's what makes the mountains seem so impossible to move. But in order for the mountains to move, we've got to have faith. God said even if it's the size of a mustard seed, he could do anything with that type of faith. And we need to learn to speak to our mountains. We just can't really just say, Lord, you know what I'm going through, but we've got to be bold enough to speak to that mountain and say that you will not distract me. You will not get the victory over my life. You have got to go. We have got to be bold enough to speak it. And I admire Ms. Sarah so much because any time there's a mountain in my life, when I call Ms. Sarah, Ms. Sarah said, Brenda, you've got to speak to it. You've got to speak the word. And I thank God for learning this morning that we have got to speak it. You've got to stand on faith, and you have got to speak the word. And then in order to have faith, we have to have it. It has to be a lifestyle. We've got to develop a relationship with the Lord through fasting and prayer. The Bible says that most things are moved, most mountains are moved through fasting and prayer. And in order to be able to fast and pray, prayer is our relationship with the Lord. We've got to allow the Lord, we've got to keep that lifestyle going where we can have the Lord channel our ears so we can hear what he has to say to us. You know, the Lord speaks in a so small voice. So your ears have got to be cleared. We have got to ask the Lord, Lord, remove the adders from our ears. Adders are things that are in our ears that that just clog our, our hearing passage. So we've got to develop a relationship with the Lord so that we can have our ear channeled, our eyes 
clearer, that we can see the Lord and see which way he's taking us. And then God gives us a peace in the situation where we do that. We don't look at the mountains anymore. He gives us a peace. I can remember one time when my son first went to jail, and I I had just bought a double-wide trailer, and that was a beautiful mobile home. We moved it in a, you know, in a mobile home park, and my son got to jail. My son went to jail for the very first time. And part of my lease was that your neighbors had to be safe. We had to govern ourselves where our neighbors are safe. Well, my son got out of jail, but the rental office told me, because my son, because North Charleston Police Department came to my house, my neighbors were not safe, so we had to move. I didn't have any money to move it. It cost thousands of dollars to take it down and put it back up. One company told me that if I did that, that it wouldn't be structured. You know, the foundation would shift, and it wouldn't be the same. We had an uncle. My husband had an uncle that was going to give us the money to move it. And heaven knows what happened to their conversation. My uncle called me back the very next day, and he said that. And he said that he put a stop payment on the check. And we were devastated. But I didn't let that shake my faith. I had a niece to call me. I had 30 days to move. And I was in the third week. I had one more week to move. Didn't know where I was going. Me, my husband, and three kids, we didn't know where we were going. And I had some family members saying, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And one family member said, I I don't understand how you could be so calm in this situation. You've only got seven days to get out of that place. What are you going to do? And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. I'm standing on God. If God don't do it, it won't get done. And I think it was three or four days before those seven days were up. God had already pressed on my mind to call this person, but because my ears was not channeled, I ignored the voice. I'm thinking to myself, people don't want to hear your problems. But little did I know when I finally made that phone call, a phone call that I should have made the very first day I got the eviction notice. When I made that phone call, the person said, I've got a house that you and your children can rent. You don't even have to pay me a deposit. Move your stuff in. Start to rent on the first of the month. And you tell me that's not God. But because my ears was not channeled, because my relationship, I had my relationship intact, but it wasn't intact the way God wanted it to be because God told me, when I got the eviction notice, call this person. But I'm thinking they don't want to listen to me. And then the third thing, we've got to learn to forgive. When God forgives us, it's a gift. But when we have to forgive, it's work. And the only way we're going to learn to forgive the way God forgives is sharpening our relationship. That is the only way. When we get our relationship intact, God gives us exactly what we need to move those mountains so that those mountains will move. When we speak boldly to those mountains, when we form that, that, that undetachable relationship with the Lord, and when we forgive, 
God gives us a peace in the midst of the mountain. He may be quiet. It may look like he's not doing anything. But God is working in our behalf. And we can speak to the mountain and say, be thou removed. We don't have to accept what doctors say. We can take it back to the Lord. Lord, you made this body. You know all about it. Your word says by your stripes I'm healed. And God will do it. But we've got to be bold enough. And we've got to do the work to get there. Stay in prayer. Fast. Keep our relationship going. Stay in the word. Listen for God's instruction. And the problems will be removed. The problems are us. God gives us a peace. God will give us a peace in the midst of those mountains, and he will remove those mountains for us. Amen. And now, the celebration of our Lord with our communion. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children having received you in our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covers us for all time, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splinted cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he was with his friends in the table. He was saying, when they were about to eat, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Go ahead and take this elements of bread. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of wine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and take that drink. Thank you, The conference has been unmuted. Father God, we come before you, throne of grace, one more time this morning. Yes, Father, as we eat this bread, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, Father God, we declare the victory that was already done. Mm -hmm. And Father God, what happened in the Calvary applies to us today. God, I speak the faith, the measure of faith that is in each of us. Father God, be lifted up today one more time. Thank you, Lord. God, what that mountain is in front of us. Father, we speak to that mountain, Father God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, we speak that this mountain will be removed from our life, Father God. We don't take any more of this, Father God. We want this enemy to be removed and we want the Satan destroyed. Father God, Help us to remind him to go to hell. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, this morning, we pray that uh, you will, Father God, strengthen our heart. Yes, Lord. Thank you. God, you are a mighty God. You are a magnificent God. You are a God who would never, ever give up on your children. Father God, we pray and invite you right now. Yeah. Into our life, Father God, that you will just like a break away every curse, break away every stronghold. Father, in the name and blood of Jesus, I speak in behalf of my brothers and sisters to find this enemy that's just bothering our mind. Release this enemy from the minds. Release this enemy from our heart. Father, we want to have a victorious life, and you, Father God, is the way that we can hold to that victory. Yes, Lord. God, I pray that this morning, if there is anything that we have done and said to our mouth, Father God, we wash that mouth with your blood, that we will never be held responsible for that, because you have already taken it to the cross. Yes, yeah. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Release every one of us, Father God, for any from any bondage that we will live a victorious life. Yes, Lord. Yes, Please Lord. Surrender ourselves into your mighty hands. God, you take the glory and Lord. honor. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, for your glory. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Go in peace.